As we quiet our hearts to hear God's word, let us pray. God of power and grace, fill us with the wisdom of your word and the understanding of your spirit so that we may be your church, a people with dreams and visions at work in all the world. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our first reading from the Revelation of John comes from the first chapter of the Revelation, verses 9 through 20. I will be reading from the English Standard Version translation of the Greek text. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands was one like a son of man clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But I, he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Our second reading this morning is also from the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the origin of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. You do not realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Therefore, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white robes to clothe you and to keep the shame of your nakedness from being seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. I reprove and discipline those whom I love. Be earnest, therefore, 
and repent. Listen, I am standing at the door, knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come into you and eat with you and you with me. To the one who conquers, I will give a place with me on my throne, just as I myself conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. As we begin our exploration of the text today, I want you to go on a little journey with me. I want you to close your eyes for a moment and picture Jesus. Think about what he's wearing. Where is he standing? What is the expression on his face? Perhaps you are picturing the shepherd Jesus, calm and gentle in a field with his sheep. Maybe you see the kind-hearted, smiling Jesus welcoming the little children. Does your visual perhaps go to a picture of Jesus on the cross, the suffering Jesus? Perhaps you see the resurrected Jesus greeting the women on that first joyful Easter morning. I'm going to take a wild guess though <laughs> and suggest that few, if any of you, went straight to this odd picture of Jesus from Revelation. Here we see Jesus, not with the long flowing hair that we generally picture, but with woolly white hair, like wool, wearing a golden sash Gone are the sparkling, cheerful brown eyes I generally picture when I see Jesus. They are replaced with eyes like fire. <laughs> his, his face is shining and he's standing among a bunch of lampstands. And he's holding stars. Also, his, his feet look like shiny metal that just came out of a refiner's fire. And there is a big, sharp sword coming out of his mouth. Bet you not a whole lot of that was in your mental picture of Jesus this morning. And so it is no wonder that our friend John fell on the ground in fear at this vision. This was not the Jesus he was expecting to see. Jesus is anything but cuddly in this passage. In the Gospels, we get a glimpse of Jesus' power and justice, but here, here we see it in its full glory. What he has to say to the churches is so powerful. It is represented by a sharp, double-edged sword. Now, the first thing Jesus says is something familiar and probably comforting. Don't be afraid. And he goes on to explain how powerful and in control he is to our poor, terrified dreamer, John. And Jesus explains these lampstands he's standing with represent the church and the stars he is holding in his hands 
are the angels or the messengers to the church. He holds God's word to the church and the future of the church in his hand, and he stands with the church. And what Jesus has to say isn't just to seven churches 2,000 or so years ago. In the context in which Revelation was written, seven was a number that represented wholeness. Also at those time, all those different places would have felt like they were so far away. They were the ends of the earth. So these letters to the seven churches represent letters to all the different kinds of churches around the world. They were to those specific churches at that time, but they're also to the church around the world today, including us. Here in, in Pittsburgh, this is your language lesson today. It's not a Greek lesson, but rather a Pittsburghese lesson for those of you uh, tuning in in New Jersey. Here in Pittsburgh, we have a local equivalent of the word y'all, which is what I grew up with in Kansas. But in Pittsburgh, you don't say y'all, you say yins. See, English fails us in that we don't have a plural you in formal English. So in some parts of the country, we have colloquial words that stand in for the plural of you, you guys, you all, y'all, you ones, yins. <laughs> so yins is our colloquial way of pluralizing you in Pittsburgh. All that to say, these are community letters that span time. They are not to you singular they're not even to you a singular church. They are to yins. And that yins includes all of you. This passage should feel uncomfortable. When Jesus lays bare the places we need to grow, it can feel like that double-edged sword coming out of Jesus' mouth. We're not called to the easy or the comfortable. And if we get too comfortable, God's going to shake us up. If yins are taking Jesus seriously, it should be frightening to think about what we're called to do. Right from the beginning here, we are assured of Jesus' power, the power and even dangerous nature of the word, and of our part to play in God's work in the redemption of the world. We are meant to be part of the end of the world as we know it. We don't have time to get into all seven of these letters in today's sermon. We'll tackle those in the podcast. Um, and we also don't want to subject you all to the six to eight month sermon series it would take to attack every piece of revelation. So today we're going to look at the last one of these seven letters, one that we feel is very relevant today and one that is a, a good summary of much that is said to the other six churches. The church in Laodicea struggles with complacency. They feel that their little corner of the world is doing all right, so they have no need to concern themselves with the suffering of their neighbors. And this feeling blinds them from following Jesus with all that they are and all that they do. Laodicea was a banking and trading city. They benefited from Rome's thriving economy. One thing the city didn't have was a good water supply. Water either arrived hot from Heripheus or cold from Colossae. By the time it reached Laodicea, it was lukewarm. Over time, Laodicean came to refer to someone or something that was lukewarm, apathetic, neither one 
nor the other. Laodicean Christian, Christianity disgusts Jesus. Jesus goes so far as to say that he is going to spit the lukewarm Christians out of his mouth. Lukewarm Christians disgust Jesus because while outwardly they may look pious, inwardly they aren't converted. Other churches in Asia are being persecuted for their faith. They are rebuilding after devastating earthquakes. They are struggling to maintain their Christian identity amidst the threat of Roman assimilation. And here is a church that not only refuses to help, it fails to see how their fate is tied up with the fate of their neighboring churches. As long as they are generally doing okay, they don't concern themselves with go what's going on in the world around them. John's letter to the church in Laodicea invites our church to reflect on its own complacency. Long before the coronavirus pandemic hit, the American church struggled with complacency. I see this most clearly in her refusal to engage with the unchurched. The unchurched includes the young people who maybe didn't grow up in the church, but it also includes older people who did grow up in the church, but who no longer attend church for whatever reason. Rather than ask the unchurched what they are looking for in a church community, the church has doubled down on the way that she's always done things. The coronavirus pandemic laid bare a problem that was already unfolding in American churches. The problem of the church failing to adapt to changes in her neighborhood. The pandemic has forced us all to learn how interconnected we all are that my fate is tied up in the decisions that my neighbor makes and vice versa. I think this is why Jesus is so angry with the Laodicean church. They aren't dealing with persecution, earthquakes, or Roman assimilation. They are free to share the love of Jesus Christ with their neighbors, and they are content that their family has enough food to eat and is going to church once a week. This complacency is an insult to Jesus, who sacrificed everything so that they might live. My job in this last portion of the sermon is to find the grace in the story that we have heard from Revelation and then show how we can live into that grace in our own lives and in the communities where we live. But that grace can be hard to find when Jesus, speaking through John of Patmos, cries out to the church at Laodicea, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. That's harsh. That's scary, but perhaps it needs to be harsh and scary. 
The Laodicean church is complacent. They're going on autopilot. The congregation is sleepwalking as they go through their faith journey. Jesus is grabbing them by the shoulders and shaking them, trying to get them to wake from their slumber. The goal isn't destruction. Jesus doesn't want the congregation at Laodicea to feel his wrath. What Jesus wants is repentance. He invites the congregation to change, saying, I reprove and discipline those whom I love. Be earnest, therefore, and repent. He's saying, you've got to repent now. I hope my New Jersey folks have already gotten the translation on this. In fact, that's true for most of the crazy images that we find throughout the book of Revelation. John is trying to get the congregations of these seven churches to pay attention and then repent. Today, the crazy images focus our attention so we can see the ways that we're like these seven congregations. In another time, it might be my job to stir the pot a little bit, to shake us out of this complacency, but I don't have to do that this year, nor do Carissa and Rebecca. The pandemic has already disrupted our routines. We are definitely not going on autopilot. This pandemic has been truly awful. In this country, nearly 140,000 people have died from COVID-19. Over 3 million people have been infected by the coronavirus. Millions more have lost their jobs and had their hours reduced because some businesses have closed. And all of us have had our lives seriously disrupted. We have to acknowledge the pain and dislocation. We also have to keep on living and serving. We have to be the church in these troubled times. As bad as this pandemic has been, it's also been a revelation to us. It's shown us how we can adapt to changing times. We have learned how to worship online. We've held Bible studies and session meetings online too. Beyond that, we've spent our time and our energy reaching out to all of our members, making sure they stay connected. You have all reached out with phone calls, notes and cards, emails, text messages, Zoom meetings, I know you're doing the work. I mean, honestly, how many of you now have your own personal Zoom accounts? How many of you have learned to use some new piece of software to communicate with other people from church? Those are all wonderful, positive changes. We have been stirred out of our complacency. That's great. 
but eventually this pandemic will end. We have made some good technological and behavioral changes during this time, but we can't slide back into complacency once there's a safe and effective vaccine for the coronavirus. We must continue to adapt to the changes in our society so that we can reach the unchurched. At the same time, we have to continue all of the other work to which Jesus calls us. Feeding the hungry, providing water to those who are thirsty, welcoming the stranger, clothing the naked, visiting the prisoners. None of this is easy stuff. Remember, God doesn't call us to do the easy stuff. As we wrestle with the book of Revelation, let us also see this pandemic as a revelation of all the ways in which we need to change. And then let us change. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. Amen.